welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Ruth Freeman. She's a psychotherapist in private practice in Storrs, Connecticut, and the founder of Peace at Home Parenting Solutions. She's taught parenting education to thousands over the past 30 years, and she's the co-founder of the Connecticut Parenting Education Network. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Welcome, Ruth. Um, I'm excited to have Ruth on the show. Um, she is a wonderful energy. She has more enthusiasm and energy than almost anybody I know. But she's um, a social worker. She's a founder of what's called Peace at Home Parenting Solutions. She's a psychotherapist. She's also taught parenting to thousands of people over 30 years. Um, she's a co-founder of the Connecticut Parenting Education Network and the lead author of, quote, Building My Family's Future. Um, so she has a lot going on. She's really committed to making the world a better place for children. And I just want to, and Ruth is also my coach. She's challenging me to be more concise. So I don't know if my audience has noticed this, but sometimes I can be a little bit wordy. Is that the right word, Ruth? <laughs> You're very passionate, David. Oh, so are you. So I met Ruth through a common friend. That was It was Beth, right, Ruth, that we met. So I get introduced to Peace at Home Parenting, and Ruth um, came up with some statistics that I thought was shocking about parental burnout. Um, Ruth, what are some of those stats on burnout? So um, one of the things we know is that Ohio State University just came out with some information about working parents specifically. And they talked about 66% of working parents experiencing um, a diagnosis of parental burnout. We use the word burnout all the time. I feel burned out, but they're talking about very specific symptoms. And those include, as you might guess, increased depression, anxiety, and increased use of alcohol. But perhaps most problematic uh, is that some parents are increasing their use of punitive or harsh parenting. Right. And some parents are reporting that they feel detached from their children. And this is going on as a perfect storm. At the same time, we have the, the Association of Children's Hospitals and the Academy of Pediatrics declaring a national emergency in children's mental health. And, and we had that before the pandemic, but right. it spiked up in terms of children's anxiety, depression, and suicide, mostly among adolescents. Right. No, teen suicide, actually, even between kids 10 to 14 years old, suicide rates are up between ages 15 to 20. They're way up. And in teens, teen suicide is a higher cause of death than car accidents, which is stunning. So you've been at this for a long time. So I don't think we heard the term parental burnout 30 years ago, like we're hearing it now, right? So what do you think is going? What do you think is going on? What's going on? Well, I, I, you know, I think it's really clear that that the the whole hybrid model of parents working at home more, at yeah. first, it definitely has some assets. However, a lot of parents are telling us, "I'm not working from home. I'm living where I work," and the whole experience of work now, because of technology and phones, is leaking into family and and many. HR folks aren't just talking about work-life balance. They're talking about work-life integration because they, parents seem to be going back and forth between parenting and, and answering their texts. And, 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 and it's, um, 
the, the, <laughs> the intensity of their engagement with the work and the expectation of parents to, um, I think all the neuroscience and the knowledge about parenting actually puts pressure on parents because they're starting to understand how important their role is with kids. And parents didn't, we didn't know this 30 years ago. We didn't understand a lot of this. So there's lots of factors. Right. So I'm trying to figure out which way to go this conversation, because as you know, you and I have talked for hours and hours and hours. There's many, many implications to doing this. So we have overwhelming sensory input, overwhelming responsibilities. Even though we have physical comforts, we have so much going on in our heads, it's hard to keep up with them. And then you get this cycle going where parents get reactive, they get frustrated. And then of course, with the mirror neurons effect is that the kids start reacting backwards. So the kids are acting out, the parents are frustrated. There's a tendency for the parents to want to blame their kids for their frustrations, but it's actually backwards, mm -hmm. right? Right. And, you know, you, you once asked me, um, you know, what's your one important message? People often say to me, you know, what's your elevator? If you're an elevator with a parent, you get to say one thing to a parent. What is it? And I have to say, with all of our team at Peace at Home Parenting, what we've come to is that one message is be your child's calm center. And I, and, and I was talking with a, a colleague who um, has spent a lot of his uh, funds on looking at the research around parenting and outcomes for kids. And he said, the most important question you need to ask your kid is, do I make you nervous? And I think that's very consistent with your work, right? Mm -hmm. So let me explain the mirror neurons to the audience for a second. So this is figured out in the 1940s, actually, in a monkey lab where a researcher was walking down the center aisle eating peanuts. And all of a sudden, these monitors started going off. And when I look at the part of the brain that was going off is the appetite center. So what happens when you're eating, it sets off the appetite center, other people's brains. When somebody laughs, other people's laughs. When people yawn, other people yawn. So it's called mirror neurons. So it's a direct stimulation of the part of that part of the other person's brain. So the same thing goes for moods. I mean, think about your own experience. If you're if you're around somebody in a bad mood, especially if you're close to them, how do you feel? You you feel down, and you want to either get them to change their mood or fix them, which is unfortunately what parents get into. So and it goes both ways. So we say to parents, you know, we want you to be able to get into your thinking brain, out of your emotional brain when you're interacting with your kids. But if your child is having a meltdown, if you don't have any tools, you just biologically start to get intense. It's how your brain's going to respond. Right. And so parents start to get louder and a little more urgent, and they're treating the meltdown like it's an emergency. And now both parent and child are triggering each other back and forth. Right. Right. So the parents are triggering the child. The child is triggering the parents. When we say triggers, I don't want to be clear on that word also, is that when you get triggered, it means your body now either became anxious or frustrated. In other words, your brain sensed real or perceived danger. You go into fight or flight. The problem with fight or flight is that the activity in your brain in the thinking center goes drops way down. And the activity in your survival brain goes way up. And we know that the instance of domestic, physical domestic violence in a lifetime for a man is 28%. And for women is 32%. This physical violence in the home. So it just makes me crazy because I was obviously in a home that was verbally violent, a little physically violent. Um, why do people do this? I mean, these are people that you love. 
why would you treat somebody you love worse than you treat somebody that you met at the bank? Right? We wouldn't do it to strangers. So what happens with the triggers, also you get this reaction, your brain goes offline, and you act in ways that are pretty abominable. And so it's really a tricky situation. So when I say triggers, that's what I mean. With the mirror neurons, by the way, it is not psychological. You're directly stimulating that part of the other person's brain. So Violet. you have a terrible cycle going. And I know you start, how long have you started the Peace at Home Parenting? When, when did you start this process? Peace at Home Parenting is a digital parenting education program where parents can talk to talk directly to professionals and access, you know, live and recorded classes. That's only six years, but I've been teaching parenting education since I was pregnant with my 37-year-old daughter, which is a long time. And and one thing I want to say when you're asking about how things have changed, um, when I was first teaching parenting 30, 20 even years ago, I didn't have to ask are you having dinner with your kids? That wasn't, it was just a standard practice. Most families were having dinner together, for example. And one of the things I think that's really been difficult for children is that what used to be expected routines like bedtime, mealtimes, um, getting up in the morning, there, there were just, the nature of the day was much more predictable and in a certain order. Right. And, and rhythms and routines calm the brain. If you know, we know that if we come home from school, we have a snack and then we go outside and then we do our homework and then we set the table and then we have dinner and we do it day after day after day. The brain relaxes, the kid knows what comes next, we get a lot more cooperation. But now people have all these activities and all these interesting things happening. But for children, all those changes every day actually, children can perceive that as dangerous, which is hard to understand, but changes for kids can trigger that fight flight kind of reaction. And so there were certain things that life, it was just easier because of the expectations of our lives. So as far as the approach to the solutions, we're gonna go a lot more into this in the second podcast because we know the problem pretty well. We know in medicine when physicians are burned out, they don't respond very well. And even athletes that are burned out and unhappy actually don't perform as well because again, their brain's not fully functioning. And again, when I say that, when you're in survival mode, you lose your creativity and you're reacting. And then it gives, of course, a huge universal ping pong game that yeah. can be really deadly. It's also greatly magnified in chronic pain. Because the last two years of my practice, we do, we dealt almost exclusively with family issues because you could do writing, relaxation, sleep, all these different things to get better. But when you got home and got triggered by your family, you went right back into the pain. Or what I also didn't anticipate is that when a family member starts getting healthy, guess what? I always thought the family would rejoice and they almost to the person resist it. They resist it and it blew me away. I've had, I just watched people get dragged right back into pain by their families because what happens, each person in the family, as you know, plays a role, is a defined role in their minds. It becomes you know pretty embedded with repetition. So for instance, if a person is disabled and the spouse is a caretaker and the spouse gets better, then the spouse has to change his or her role, right? Yeah. And, Same thing with parenting. If you have a kid that's acting out, acting out, let's say the kid actually um, got better magically. Guess what? The parents will find ways to actually precipitate the kid to act in a bad way. So, and I, I want to say that, that I think, and, and maybe you can correct me because I'm always psychology and you're always biology, but but, you know, aggression in families has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so 
um, you know, um, Dan Siegel, who wrote a book called, I'll think of it. Dan Siegel is a psychologist or a psychiatrist who is, really does neuroscience and parenting. And he says, if you don't know the story of your childhood and how those early experiences affect your behavior and affect your thoughts and feelings, then you're likely to pass on some of the dysfunctions of your childhood. And I think that we unconsciously get get reminded of our early childhood. You know, you can be going along and be a pretty, you know, stable person. All of a sudden you get married, you have kids and you're acting like a crazy person. Why is that? And and I, you know, according to Dan Siegel, oh, it's called, his book is called Parenting from the Inside Out. Okay. And it's looking at how our childhood affects our parenting. And I think that those people you love the most, your partner, your children, they are going to remind you of some of that aggression and some of that dysfunction that happened in your childhood more than anyone else because family looks like family. Right. So unless we understand what happened to us and how it affects us, we're likely to unconsciously act like our parents at their worst under stress. And it's just patterns. It's exactly what you're talking about. Sure thing, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to be really concise here because this is really your show and I really want to find out what you're doing. But and you and I think agree on this is that it doesn't matter what you say. You can you can preach your kids all you want, number one, but they're only going to learn by imitation and example. So you have if you aren't a calm, secure person, you cannot expect your kids to be less stressed than you are. It's not going to happen. Right. And any any thoughts think, on that? Well, you know, when we talk about attachment, you know, kids really, kids really cooperate based on the relationship. And when we talk about attachment, we talk about seen, safe, soothed, and secure. And, and parents can only do that. They can only really see, get their kids and be soothing to them and help their kids feel safe and secure when their own brains are in that calm state. And if they don't know how to calm their brain, they can't do that important attachment. And without that important attachment, everything kind of becomes really, really hard. So the, the parents tend to focus on their kids' behaviors, right? To, to try to fix that behavior, fix this behavior. Guess what? Look at your kids. It's your behavior that's showing up. People hate that. But I mean, I mean, I again, I'm humble by it. I'm a parent. And so when your kid's acting out, they're imitating you. Whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. So deal with it. Well, because wait, 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 wait. Sometimes, David, do you think they're also reacting to you? It can go both ways, right? If you adopt the pattern, you're acting out. So if you have this pattern that's really on tour that you dislike, if you're being triggered, by the way, the reason why you're being triggered is because it's your behavior that's being monitored. That So we have behaviors in ourselves we don't like, all of a sudden our kid does the same behavior, it triggers us. Why, I mean, why do you get triggered? I mean, well, triggers don't just happen. I don't get triggered, I don't get triggered you know, by the, um, I don't get triggered by people on the street that I don't okay, know but, very well. Okay, but let's say your three-year-old comes up and kicks you in the shins, right? They get mad and they kick you. He's it's three. Weird. Right, right. But it doesn't mean that you have been physically abusive, but it could be that you get, it could be that you were, your parent used corporal punishment. When your child kicks you, you have this intense response, right. you have a big response, and children are built to get attention. 
So when you give a big response to something, their brains go, I need to do this again. Even right. if it's a negative response, children right. will take a negative response over no response. So anything we're giving big responses to, kids are going to give us more of. So sometimes it's not that they're imitating you. It's that they're triggering you and you're responding in a way that reinforces the behavior you don't want. Right, but I want to go deeper than that. So they're not imitating the behaviors. That's his or her way of reflecting anger, right? So it happens to be kicking or maybe it's screaming, maybe it's, you know, punching the sister. So what I'm saying is that what they're they're mirroring in their own style is anger. Right. So if you're an angry person, they're going to find a way. So you can talk to them and, you know, don't cheat, do well in school, be a good person. You can talk all you want. It doesn't matter. You're, you, they're, you're imprinting the behaviors that your kids are showing have been imprinted by you day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute. It gets imprinted on these kids' brains. So what we're missing, though, with a lot of us in life, it's not that we focus on behaviors, but we're not looking at the root cause. So I'm going to jump to on this part of the podcast, I'm just going to jump to the end of the story just for a second and then jump into some of the techniques in the second podcast. But I have boiled my parenting advice into one word, and that's just the word play. play? That's it. Play. Oh, play. You don't have to raise. So you don't so remember humans developed by play. You negotiate boundaries. You read body language. You just play is a very complex process that helps the brain develop in a very rich way. It's not about fun. It's about interactions that are positive, meaningful, structured, whatever it is. So play defines boundaries. It also changes your body's chemistry. Your brain goes to the other part of the brain, back into the thinking brain. So people say, well, I play. I have fun with my kid. Really? Are you actually there or are you on your cell phone? Are you actually listening to your kid or are you actually texting somebody? So the word play is a really big word. It, it, it defines sort of a deep interaction. And so as you get to actually enjoy your kid, and as you know, my whole concept about listening as opposed to talking. So one reason, one advice I used to give to my parents when they went out of the office in my chronic pain practice was don't give one piece of advice to your kids for a month. No, nothing. No criticism, no advice, nothing. Get rid of that word having to raise my kids and just listen. Because awareness is the essence of play. You cannot have real meaningful interactions without listening and being aware. So when you're anxious or frustrated, by definition, you've lost awareness. Awareness is at the root of all human relationships that that have any sense to them. So my so that's a big word. Um, what do you? Th- well, so so I'm, so Ruth, I'm getting my whole message down to one word. That's pretty concise. The word play. So um, we very much affirm what you're saying. I don't think it's the only word. I like that you got it down to one word, but, and and I want to clarify something. There was a couple of things. One is if you grew up with adverse childhood experiences or with trauma, um, it may be hard for you to play because you may not, you, you may not have experienced it as a child and you may literally have to watch people to learn how to play, really right. play, not sit down and play Candyland, but to be playful and i think that's a lot of what you're talking about dave is being playful and playful means uh, because sometimes parents play in a way that's so competitive and so about performance that it's no longer enjoyable (laughs) they're playing a game but it's not enjoyable it's that light playfulness laughing and kids look to us to signal how the world is and when a parent can be playful 
the parent is signaling the world is a safe place. It also opens the brain up to learning. It relaxes the brain and kids are much more cooperative. You know, when there were more traditional uh, gender roles, we would often hear mothers saying, you know, the daddy just plays around with them and he's so silly and they do whatever he wants. And what the mom was observing, mom was tracking everything. She was stressed. She was keeping, this was traditional role models, traditional gender models. And mom was keeping track of everything. Mom was trying to make sure everybody did everything on time. And dad was in the moment, completely enjoying them. And they were more cooperative. So you're very, very accurate when you say that that playful energy that's kind, enjoyable, and having fun really wins cooperation and calms brains. Exactly. So I want to finish this part of the podcast with, um, I'm going to give you the last word, by the way. <laughs> but Are you sure? It's, your, it's not your responsibility to raise your child. It's your responsibility to provide a safe environment to nurture and you can learn, you can teach them how to play. That's your responsibility. That's a lot different than discipline, raising them a certain way, giving them morals, et cetera, et cetera. Your responsibility is to provide nurturing, safety, and play. That's my, that's my assessment. Well, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to resonate with that and the way we describe it at Peace at Home Parenting is that we want you to be a gardener, not a carpenter. We want you to create an environment in which your child can blossom into who they really are, as opposed to building and constructing the ideal child, which is going to lead to lots of problems. So you and I say it differently, David, but we often agree. Really? <laughs> Good. Ruth, thank you very much for being on this um, session of the podcast. Um, how can we access your services? Just reach us at peaceathomeparenting.com and you can reach um, our parent guides to, to access some resources by emailing us at solutions at peaceathomeparenting.com. This was a great opportunity, David. I always love talking to you. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to thank our guest, Ruth Freeman, for being on the show today and for sharing her insights into the difficulties of parenting today, parental burnout, and the solutions that Peaceful Parenting provides. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.